1: My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello everyone. So I hesitate to say welcome to the divorce episode series. It's rarely a journey anyone wants to take. And I know I also mentioned this in the first episode in the special series, but it's important to bring it up again. It is wrought with a lot of tough emotions. But if this is a journey that you are on, I do still want to say welcome because I hope this is a place you feel supported, you feel some connection with some of the exact same things you're experiencing, and that it is part of a healing path for you. Now, when I shared about our divorce with you, my audience, I had already done most of the hard work through those emotions. I was luckily able to work through a lot of those tough emotions over a year to a year and a half and had been well settled into my new vision of my life on my new path long before I shared about our decision, which made it much easier for me to talk about and share about The feelings were no longer raw or swirling around in my head constantly, and I had some very tough days, some really tough days to get through, but I got through them with all the support, with all the steps that I shared in the co-parenting part one, and that I also shared the beginning steps of that in the previous special episode on co-parenting through divorce. So while as of the recording of this podcast, we are still living in the same household. I I can see my steps forward towards more and more independence, more and more separation in the coming months and years. Now the decision to stay in the same house has a lot to do with what I will be discussing today. When I was going through the many emotions, one of my big ones was parental guilt. And I didn't talk about all the different emotions in part one. In the class, I have a whole list of emotions that are very common to deal with through divorce, and I talk about each of the emotions, ways to work through them, ways forward. But one of my big ones was parental guilt, and I'm going to talk about some of the ways that I worked through this one personally, including with my therapist. But I had so much guilt to work through. It would come and it would go. I would accept it. I would work through it. I would think I was done with it. I would think I had it all processed and then it would come up again. It just pops up, I would say out of nowhere, but sometimes out of nowhere, but a lot of times it'll have to do with taking the next step forward and that guilt will pop up again or other emotions as well. Now, I had guilt towards my spouse as well. I had guilt that I made a promise that I was backing out of and I talk about that in the class about how I was able to accept that as well, but my parental guilt was about feeling selfish. Research has often been brutal about the effects of divorce on kids. Now, this is before I really dug into the research myself. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know how I love me some really solid research. But some of the research in the divorce arena has not been very solid. I'll talk about that in a minute. But the cultural and societal pressures to stay together for the kids is no small thing. They loom over you like a dark cloud. And not just because of kind of what we've heard, but because at every turn, somebody inevitably will tell you about it, will talk to you about it, will try to make you feel guilty about it. Or maybe they're not trying to make you feel guilty, but that's their own shadow talking. That's their own issues. Whether they're still married and they're unhappy, and, or if they're still dealing with their own guilt over a divorce that they had, who knows? That's their own shadow self that they need to work on. Every time I seriously consider divorce... Immediately, I would think, why is my happiness more important than my children's? Aren't I just being selfish? Over time, more and more, I realized that they deserve a mom who is happy. And what effect am I having on them if I stay, even if it doesn't show? As someone who studied and practiced psychology, I knew on some level, subliminal level, they were picking up on it. I knew regardless of the choice I made, I was leaving them with their own legacy to untangle as adults in their own adult relationships. What legacy did I want to leave them? I was in so much pain. I felt stuck and stifled and smothered, and I knew I didn't want them to experience that. As I moved forward, and this came and went and came and went, and I worked my way through it, in the end... This came on more strongly, and I hoped that my facing my pain, doing what I needed to do to find my happiness, that that would save them from that fate. It doesn't mean they won't struggle in relationships. It doesn't mean that they won't be unhappy in a relationship. What it means is when they realize they're unhappy, that they'll be able, or when something isn't quite clicking or something isn't quite fitting, that they will be able to move past it without struggling as much as I did. And that is the legacy I hope that I am passing on to them. So I dug into some research and here's what I learned. All those studies, especially from the 80s and 90s and earlier, were poorly designed at best, but they were biased at worst. Now, scientists aren't supposed to be biased, but sometimes they can be. And I studied all of this when I went through my graduate program about what you have to look out for in studies, because they can be and often are, do have some biases in them. And how do you look for that? But it almost seemed to me as if these early studies on divorce were wanted to prove that staying in a marriage was by far the better option than divorce and that they were almost designed to do this. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the poor design of just one of these studies in a moment. But these studies seemed to come up with negative effect after negative effect from mental health effects on children and mental health into their adulthood, like higher incidences of depression and anxiety, behavioral problems and issues in children of divorce, to high school dropout rates, to college graduation rates, to their own divorce rates in their own future marriages. But what was missing from these studies were some of the details that really needed to be studied a little deeper they were too broad. It wasn't just the divorce. What about the divorce could possibly be causing these effects? You know, I wanted to know what were the effects on children whose parents stayed unhappily married? What were the effects on children whose parents maintained a low-conflict relationship and remained connected and supportive of their children? They were just these big studies of just apples to oranges without really digging into the why. So the good news is that newer research does absolutely support this. It shows that, of course, divorce affects most children in the short run, just like it does us adults. But the research also suggests that kids recover rapidly after the initial shock, and that most children from divorced families also do equally as well in the long term as those from intact families. In a quantitative review of the literature available at the time in 2001, Paul Amato, A sociologist at the time was at Pennsylvania State University examined the effects on children several years after divorce. So the studies compared children of married parents with those who experienced divorce at different ages. So the researchers then followed these kids through childhood and into adolescence, assessing their academic achievement, emotional and behavioral problems, delinquency, self-concept, and social relationships. On average, the studies found only very small differences on all of these measures between children of divorced parents and those from intact families. What research has found that what actually affects children of divorced families are four key factors. Number one, high conflict during and after divorce. Number two, a loss of socioeconomic status that will often follow divorce. Number three, parental mental health. And number four, the quality of parenting, which obviously that can decline for many reasons, including if one or both parents are working more to make up the financial loss to run two households, that financial strain, that's going to affect how well they can parent. If they're stressed or their mental health are struggling with blame, with anger, with resentment, that is going to affect the way that we have all of our relationships. So I wanna dig into each of these four areas. We're gonna start with parental conflict. So, what research found is that the biggest factor affecting children's mental health is the amount of conflict between the parents, either during the divorce process, after, or both, which makes sense. If every time a child switches from one parent's home to another, there is conflict, animosity, or even just coldness or tension, they are going to experience it. If they're constantly hearing one parent complain about another parent, even when that parent's not around, they're going to experience it. That's not gonna be good for their mental health. They love this other person, so that's not helpful for them. So in research studies where this was not taken into account, it began to appear that seeing the other parent, so usually the dad, because the mom tends to get primary custody or more custody of the kids, usually around 80% is the average when these studies were done, but even still today, moms tend to get more Uh, tend to get more custody, so they're the primary parent. So the research was showing that seeing the other parent was more often a detriment, but it actually was because of the tension or the conflict between the two parents when they saw each other, not because the non-custodial parent, usually the dad, wasn't a positive influence. So the early research completely missed this, and therefore it drew an outright incorrect and harmful conclusion. Now what kids need is two mature, supportive parents who can connect to the degree, the best degree possible with each other throughout the process and after the process. The better we can work together through and after the divorce process, the better it will be for our children. So this is why I start the co-parenting through divorce series with this process of doing this hard work, digging into our emotions, Taking responsibility for where we ended up in life, for our own emotions, working through our feelings, releasing blame, shame, anger, resentment, and more for ourselves to our ex or soon to be ex for the healthiest path forward apart, but still together. We're separate, but still a family. This was my number one goal, and it was my ex-husband's as well, that we be able to be committed to the kids and their health and well-being on all levels, mental, emotional, physical, intellectual, spiritual, as much as possible. So while we might be moving apart to become our best selves separately, the kids would remain the central focus throughout the process and beyond. We may have to put our personal goals or desires on hold for the time, from time to time in order to do this, like what we're doing, living in the same house. I would prefer to be in a separate house, but this is working, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more. Luckily, I have a parenting partner who could step up to this challenge, and I know not everyone has this. If you do, you're very lucky as well. If you do not, just know that doing your best work for yourself and for your children will still be a huge benefit to them. So in the last episode, I talked about the ways to begin this process of setting this solid emotional foundation for a smoother separation process. So if you haven't listened to that one, and you're still in the beginning stages, or if you aren't in the beginning stages, but know you may have some holes in your foundation, some work that you didn't do, you'll want to go back and listen to that. Fill in that foundation. Get it as strong as you can. Of course, the class Co-Parenting Through Divorce Part 1 also picks up where the podcast leaves off with continuing to do the work and finding all the right support, the tools and ideas for working through all the different tough emotions that continually come up. So I remember when my ex and I were first talking about our separation, when we had first decided that it was the best way forward for us. I told him I didn't want a rigid custody schedule. I wanted him to see the kids whenever he wanted, I wanted them to be able to see him when they wanted to, and I would never say no to him if he said he wanted to see them so long as it was logistically feasible, no matter whose quote unquote night or weekend it was with the kids. I said I'd like the same courtesy and we agreed on this early on. Now my ex has a very close friend since early childhood whose parents got divorced, so this was in the early 70s. They did an incredible job of managing their relationships, and I'm sure it wasn't always easy. His mom never remarried. His dad did, and they're still together. But even now, their grandkids, every holiday, every birthday, every sporting event, and the granddaughter, one of the granddaughters, there's two grandsons and a granddaughter, she is a big softball player, will very likely get a scholarship to college. She's about to go off to college, I think, next year. I think she's a senior. But these grandparents, all three of them, there's the grandma, the biological grandma, the biological grandpa, and his wife, who is also her grandma. All three of them came to every single game she ever played, every single weekend, they were all out there cheering her on and going out together afterwards and celebrating. They did an incredible, incredible job. They did the same with their own two kids when they were young. They put whatever differences they had aside and they really rallied for their children and and their grandchildren. Now this is relatively unheard of, especially in the 70s and the 80s, so they are a role model for me for what a divorced and blended family can and should look like. Next, I'm going to talk about the other three key areas that affect children after a word from our sponsor. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com/podcast with the code PARENTING for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply.
2: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you.
1: Now that we're back after the break, I'm going to talk about the other key areas that that can affect kids' mental health due to divorce. So the second area is a loss of socioeconomic status that can happen after a divorce. When going from running one household to two, it's a rare family and situation that isn't negatively affected financially. Now in co-parenting part two, I talk about all the ways to minimize this effect for everyone, as it only adds to the stress of the situation. Unfortunately, I've also known personally about couples who stayed because they could not afford to get a divorce. No one is happy in that situation. So in part two, I first discuss several options that do not require the traditional two-divorce-attorney route, complete with litigation. If you can avoid it, do so at all costs. It only eats away at the hard-earned money that should be for the family. It can drag the process out indefinitely. I actually have a friend, a close friend, who is at least eight years post-divorce and she's constantly being dragged into court. Now she has a narcissistic ex-partner, so that's a lot of the reason, but You know, I've heard horror stories where attorneys will stir up the controversy and prey on emotions just to keep the case going. I know in some cases it's the only way, but it should be a very last resort. There are four other options to consider and give a go first. And I talk about that in the part two class. We handled our entire divorce process with no lawyers and not even a mediator. It was important to us to preserve our wealth, our mental health, and our connection for our family. So our entire process, including court filing fees, was less than $1,500. So as I shared in the first podcast episode about co-parenting, I made a lot of compromises that I didn't legally need to, but the point is I knew my legal rights, I knew what I was entitled to, but we were living comfortably on what we were making together, most of it from my ex-husband's salary. I had only been able to contribute a small amount each month at that point as my business had just started making enough money to pay me a small commission each month but I wasn't about to go trying to split that down the middle for two households. I couldn't make the kids move from their home and into two smaller homes. I wasn't going to affect their extracurricular activities or anything else about their lifestyle either if I didn't have to. So me going and splitting us in half was only going to affect him and going to affect them and affect me. I believed in myself, what my business had to offer, in my ability to make it into something that could support a second household on the same level as my husband in our current home. Now with that said, as of today, I'm still not in a position to be able to buy a property that is right fit for the family. I could buy something small, but with three kids, one of them 11, soon going into puberty, one of them a girl also, I just feel like everyone having their own room is really important. So that means a four bedroom home in Southern California. Could I get something? Sure, a three-bedroom, maybe a four-bedroom townhouse, half the square footage of our current home with a patio for a backyard. But their dad and I still get along just fine. We tag-team meals and online learning, I have my own room, and I'm saving up and continuing to build my income. So it just makes sense to keep doing what we're doing, and soon enough I'll be buying a home of my very own. The kids get to see us working together as friends. They're learning that ending a romantic relationship doesn't mean you still can't appreciate, care for, or even still love someone. So as much as I'd love to at least be in a position to be planning a move, there's a lot of positives that are coming from this. And I can just be patient. In another year, I'll be there. Life is comfortable. I'm not worried about finances and covering a big mortgage right now. I have a lot less stress, which means it's much easier to focus on work and focus on my kids, and especially since we're still in the middle of a pandemic. So if you're concerned about your finances and divorce and how it will affect your children, if you can manage to maintain or even fix the friendship piece when the stress of trying to fix the romantic connection is relieved, when you're able to release that and support each other to be able to set and reach financial career goals, parenting goals, as you work to separate, you've been connected for so long. If you can still be friends with each other through that process, it's a really nice place to be able to work from. I actually know a couple, I know a couple in the middle of their divorce also. The wife is going back to school for nursing and she's pretty early on in the process, so they have some time before she graduates. But they're doing the best they can to repair and maintain a friendship so that their children can be financially well supported in both homes. And, and the goal is so that she can support a second home. There's a lot of options for working together to make it the best transition for everyone. And in the next episode in this series, I'm gonna talk some more about those different options that might be a little more non-traditional. It does require a lot of patience with self, patience with the other, with your your co-parenting partner, friendship, connection, and understanding. But when done well, it does help in greatly releasing the tension of feeling so stuck. I'm so grateful to my parenting partner for embodying all of those qualities, patience, friendship, and understanding. But I know he's also grateful to me for the same. His biggest fear was being bled dry, giving up the house, half his salary or more, and paying the mortgage while he lived in a one-bedroom apartment. So I think anyone would feel resentment in that situation. I know I would, and it sure would strain that relationship with my ex-partner. I'd have a tough time being cordial if that were the case. So the other two areas that can affect kids, as a recap, the first is conflict between divorcing parents. The second is the loss of socioeconomic status. Third and fourth are parental mental health and quality of parenting. Now these pieces can and often do all play off of each other. Right, So if you're worried about money, your mental health is going to suffer. If you're worried about money, your quality of parenting is going to suffer. If you're working a lot of long hours, that's going to suffer. If you're stressed out, your quality of parenting is going to go down. So all these things are going to work off of each other. So doing that foundational work, again, I cannot stress this strongly enough. Do that work. Work with a therapist. Connect with some good friends. Really work through. Take responsibility for your own Take responsibility for yourself. Let go of the stuff that isn't under your control. It just—it takes time, It's an, but it is an amazing process that pays off huge dividends. So if you haven't heard the first podcast episode, you may want to go back and listen to that. Not the very first episode, the co-parenting one, as well as the class, Co-Parenting Through Divorce Part 1, and those that, the classes, can be found at yourvillageonline.com slash co dash parenting dash classes/co-parenting-classes. I've not linked it into the main website although it is available under all the memberships just because it simply doesn't necessarily fit under particular age group classes, but it is under the main menu listed with all the classes so you can find it there and watch the samples on those if you're interested in that. So also working on your financial goals whether you're on your own or with your parenting partner will also greatly reduce the mental health issues and the stressors. So the bottom line here is that despite what we've been led to believe about the effects of divorce on our children, if you're dealing with any guilt or worry or concern over that, the research is showing that done well, keeping conflict to a minimum, prioritizing our own mental health, planning our financial future for our 2 home lifestyle can allow our children to have just as much opportunity for a bright and happy future as their intact family peers. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.
2: Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion.